Today's Movie Lovers Unite podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We decided to partner up with BetterHelp because we know that therapy can help save lives, as well as help mental health, and and BetterHelp will help you find the right therapist for you without waiting in a doctor's office. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in, in relationships or at work not dealing with the, well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapies is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Movie Lovers Unite. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash www.betterhelp.com forward slash movie lovers unite. That's betterhelp.com slash movie lovers unite and get your 10% off today. And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. And for today's podcast episode, we're going to be talking about A Beautiful Mind. This is actually going to be part of our mental health um, month and everything. So as everybody knows, mental health is part is part of May. So I figured what better way to do this and than to actually do the movie A Beautiful Mind. I haven't seen this movie. This is my first time seeing this film. And thanks to you two guys, you guys actually told me about this film. And what better way to actually have an independent actor and a director to persuade me to watch this film. So, without further ado, introduce you guys to the to everybody, and then we'll get on with the show. You want to go first, Kafkas? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. I'm Nick Kafkas. I'm the actor that John so gracefully was referring to. And Clint? Okay. Um, I'm Clint Robinson, and I'm the director he was referring to. I mean, you know, I'm here to talk about a movie and not myself. So uh, let's talk about one of my top five films of all time. <laughs> All right, and A Beautiful Mind is actually a movie that stars, of course, uh, Russell Crowe. This movie also had a budget of $58 million, made $316.8 million at the box office. This movie is based on a true story, and this is one of those movies, like I said, I haven't seen this movie before or anything like that. I remember seeing posters of it when I was working at movie gallery and stuff like that at a video store. But as far as watching this film and everything, as a teenager, as someone that was 15 years old that didn't fully understand any of the other things that was going on in this film, it didn't really gravitate towards me. So now me being 36, I'm actually having an appreciation for this film and for mental health. And it starts off in 1947 with John Nash. He arrives at Princeton University as a co-recipient with um, Martin Henson. Of the Carnage Scholarship for Mathematics, and he meets fellow math and science graduate students Saul uh, Astley and uh, Bender, as well as his roommates Charles Herman 
a literature student and determined to publish his own original idea. Uh, now, what I liked about this was I like the whole entire setup where we actually have Nash who's in Pre Preston and he's trying to find a way to come up with this original idea for this mathematical formula. He's just having a tough time. It's kind of like writing a story and everything in a sense where you're trying to come up with the best story, but it's just not clicking. Nothing that you have is there. <laughs> and I actually liked that whole entire concept. We actually have this guy who is trying to come up with this idea, this original idea, so that way he can go ahead and move on to bigger adventures. But what did you guys think about the opening scene and stuff like that? So yeah, that, that scene obviously is amazing. You get so many different quirks. One, you get how kind of bizarre John is, right? You, you see clearly there's something wrong with him. His mind, you see uh, this mind almost works cute, It's almost charming, except when he gets smacked in the face, obviously he kind of slips <laughs> on words there. But, you know, I, I thought that his quest to find the, the perfect original answer for himself, um, really spoke a lot to kind of where this thing was going. Like yeah. he kind of saw himself as someone who can't fail. And that's a theme that, that continues throughout, which makes it so much more difficult when his reality does get shattered. And it kind of plays into stuff that gets revealed later into the film, like why these things are happening to him because he does think he's like a hundred percent unique and a hundred percent, which he is a unique person like there's stuff that's unique about him but not as a whole just individual pieces of the package but what strikes me a lot about the film is less like oh the concept of it because I'm, obviously the movie was amazing but this is like my set of the time watching through and since i've been getting into filmmaking i'm looking more at like cinematography and angles and like the purpose mm -hmm. of colors and stuff like that and like they play on this theme a lot where he's like obsessed with like the way certain things look when reflected mm -hmm. and stuff like that and like literally one of the opening shots is panning from that crystal crystal on the table to the lights and then how the lights play on the the guy's tie and everything which i actually thought that that was amazing in itself. And I, I love the cinematography of it mm -hmm. as well. Um, the, the character though, like you learn everything you need to know about all the supporting characters that are introduced at this point mm -hmm. and John, like the first 15 minutes of the film, which it mm -hmm. doesn't seem like there was any wasted time in this film, which is actually really nice. None at all. No. I'm kind of piggybacking off of that too. I mean, the part where he finally has his aha moment, you know, and he's the blonde and he, he comes up with, with the governing law right. and right. he's able to explain it so simply and elegantly that anybody could understand it. Right. He broke it down into like simple mathematics, which is something that I really appreciated from it. Also too, my other favorite thing is whenever he's over at the bar trying to hit on uh, this one woman goes, look, let's just go on ahead and skip the formalities and everything. We're yeah. just going to go on ahead <laughs> and, and just have sex. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, exchange fluids. It sounds like a very Sheldon Cooper kind of uh, yeah. style of way he was trying to go ahead and uh, hook up with this girl. And this girl winds mm -hmm. up slapping him. And then, of course, he winds up striking out. And then a couple of days later, his friends uh, once again are trying to get him to hit on another girl and everything and it turns out to be a blonde-headed girl and then he's like well what's the odds of us actually getting laid and that's when he comes up with the whole entire mathematical mm -hmm. formula uh, and everything and it turns out that no one is going to be getting laid as mm -hmm. far as that goes according to his mathematical formula if they all go for her right yeah. if they all go for yeah. her 
and, and to simple it down for everyone, it's basically, you know, the best way to progress a society is for everyone to do what's best for themselves is ultimately wow. what his equation leads to. Um, and in this case, what's best for everybody to get laid is to not go after the hot one. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's kind of crazy how, or I shouldn't say crazy because he, he technically <laughs> was, but uh, <laughs> the way that he was able to pull these patterns out of thin air and actually create real tangible things is what's just mm. so striking, especially in the beginning of this film when it's like, you know that there's something off about this guy, but clearly the brilliance is there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And you, you figure it out later in the film, too, that, like, a lot of his genius comes from his flaws as well. And, like, it, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> I, 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 I see it handling mental health in some of the best ways I've seen in cinema without making it just tropey or overplayed or disrespectful, um, but making it almost like it. If you guys have looked into the real story of the real John Nash, um, he didn't have the visionary hallucinations as all, all of his was auditory, but obviously for a film, they had to kind of change stuff, but they did it in a way that was still respectful to the illness in question. A hundred percent. Right. And that's another thing, though, too. I liked how respectful it was towards Nash, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I didn't watch the trailer for this movie. I just went based off of what you guys were saying about the film. So here I am trying to connect the dots on how this has to do with mental illness and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Paul Bettany shows up, though, too, mm -hmm. when he's trying to come up with a mathematical formula. And he's over there bouncing up on the desk. And then he throws the desk out. And then in another scene, the the, that whole entire scene, the glasses all of a sudden fixed. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, what's really going on here? What's uh -huh. psychologically going on here? Because if it a guy is, is jumping down, up and down on a desk in a library, someone's mm -hmm. going to end up uh, seeing that and throwing them, throwing them out. So I'm like, okay, what's going on here in the library? <laughs> it, it's funny watching it after you, like after the first time through, you start seeing yeah. stuff like people's reactions to John Nash when he's talking to people, and then you, you know, the desk, the glass still being there, and also the desk ended up back in the room too. If you guys didn't pay attention right. to later scenes, <laughs> oh, right? So it's it, it it it's I love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't I can't think of another way to say it. But it's can, a horror film. Yeah, but, yeah. I yeah. mean, and if you just look at the cast in the film, like you recognize pretty much everybody that's in that movie has been in everything else. It, I loved it, and like the dialogue was written so well throughout yeah. it. Um, and then just like what I said, the depiction of mental health is what sealed it for me. I mean, I've spoken to you before, John and Capcus. You know me personally. Like mental health in film is like a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so like it, this is one of those films that I saw in high school. I think we were, we read the book and then my English teacher was like, all right, let's watch the movie as well. And like, that's kind of what nailed it into me that I wanted to do this. Right. Um, like advocate for mental health in some point. Okay. I think and one of the most important things in the film too, is, um, the, the depiction of the wife mm -hmm. and how strong she is throughout. Yet we mm -hmm. get to see the fractures are there and oh, yeah. it is straining on her. And they 
they really do a good job of respecting how someone in that situation, you know, needs to react. And I, I think they did it did her a lot of justice as well too. Which Same movie in its time you don't normally see. Right. right Especially because, right. for something in the fifties. Like because that's when it was happening. Like when the mental health snapped was in the fifties. Like mm-hmm. she handled it better than pretty much any other wife in that time period would have. Yeah. Agreed. Most definitely, especially when mental health was practically almost new in a sense because mm-hmm. they didn't really have that much stuff to actually deal with mental illness at that time like we do now. Yeah. And everything. Yeah, so they didn't, literally. Right. Literally what he went through. <laughs> oh, once every once every day for ten weeks. Just you know, once uh, yeah, five times a week for ten mm-hmm. weeks. And then an insulin shot, which was like they put so much in him. And then just, oh, we're going to shock the brain to fix it. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, before that, it was lobotomy. So, I mean, it's a step forward. Definitely preferable. Yeah. <laughs> you had to choose. Yeah, right. she had to choose. You know, I'll take electrocution for 10 weeks. Um, <laughs> electrocution or split your brain in half? I'd ra- rather go through electric shock therapy than splitting my brain in half, to be honest with you. Yeah, I like my frontal lobe where it is. Same. <laughs> but uh, the problem, they're not communicating with one another. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then we go into the whole entire thing where he's actually getting to, and matter of fact, he's actually deciphering code and everything after mm-hmm. that, after college, because he does wind up getting the MIT where he chooses Saul and Bender over Henson to join him mm-hmm. and everything. As a matter of fact, that was a whole entire beef war whenever you look at the Chinese checker game and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, you know, because Henson thinks that he was going to, you know, that he was going to beat him, beat Nash, but it turned out the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then Nash winds up choosing the other two guys over him. And then, of course, he starts working for the Pentagon. And that's really when things starts picking up mm-hmm. with his mental health. Where he starts deciphering the codes. I definitely love the camera angles when it came down to deciphering the codes when he's just oh, looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then also, too, that's when we actually have our first introduction to Ed Harris's character, so too. Big brothers, what he called them at first. Parcher. Yep. So that's something that I really liked was the introduction to Ed Harris's character and stuff like that, too, where we actually see him from the distance when he's looking up. And he's actually calls him Big Brother instead of Archer and, uh, and everything. And then we wind up getting into the whole entire deal with him. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, though, the part where he's just um, going over to this one mansion's this person's house and then leaving packages there for him, for this guy, it, I mean, it, it had like a psychological um, thriller. See. Yeah. It was like, like a psychological thriller, to be honest with you, on that Especially sense. the first time when the dogs yeah. were barking and yeah. the yeah. lights I mean, the second time with the car chase was also... That was intense. (laughs) Yeah, that really showed the paranoia of his schizophrenia. Like, it's... I mean, that was... No. (laughs) (laughs) It it was was definitely some intense stuff. And that... That's why I really enjoy this film too, because it doesn't just stick. Like a lot of films stick in that genre, like it's gonna be just like an emotional drama and all that stuff. Right. But then, like, it just threw you in there, like, to feel his paranoia kick in. 
you get into that like suspenseful thriller stuff and then you start seeing him like he starts seeing everybody in black as g-men and like black cars mean the government's coming for him and like you really do see his spiral you definitely do and then also to the camera angle whenever ed harris tells him to get down in the car it turns into a psychological uh a political thriller if you mm-hmm. from that point a, like more like a political thriller but i love the camera angle because of the fact that it makes me feel like i'm in the car with him rather mm-hmm. than the camera following him because it could yeah. they could actually done that but to actually have the camera on him on a downward uh note where he's kind of crunched inside the car and we actually feel like he weren't crunched in with him Yep. and everything in that scene makes me intense and also makes me have claustrophobia and everything else though to what mental illness so you actually feel that pain you feel that emotion with him that's something that i really liked yeah i mean there, there's a there's a reason it won multiple oscars i mean all the actors in that like they're all award-winning actors i i think this is actually my favorite russell crowe role like i love i love gladiator but like this yeah. is just something completely different you know you can always are you not entertained <laughs> oh very much so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that that segment, like that that good middle chunk, you know, where he's, you know, he found his wife. You can see like those moments where he's like, "I'm always listening." Like he, it's not that he doesn't care; it's just he doesn't know how to show empathy or apathy or anything mm-hmm. like that. And right. then, like, you see them like make this weird. I say weird because like they both said it a bond, even though like no one ever tried to form a bond with him before. You know what I mean? Like it, it right. showed that she cared and she decided well, she to care. Yeah. 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 She's, she, she is. I mean, she solved his equation. Like she was in his class at MIT. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Like just all that stuff. It's just, it, it, I love that human element of that film just sh- like, because, you know, obviously it happened to him in real life, but it was like really important to show the bond later on when like everything's falling apart. Right. Um, I love just, the flirtiness. I love yeah. her flirtiness and uh, with him though, too, inside the office and everything that they shared. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, so she's making moves on him. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'm, this is actually As going a, somewhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Uh, as it's all going, like, <laughs> Right over him. <laughs> right. And I actually like the awkwardness, though, because he's not sure if she's really into him or anything like that. And then all of a sudden they start dating. And then he even tries doing that same line that he did in the bar with her. And so happens to be, it actually works on mm-hmm. her. So, you know, in his mind, he says, okay, this is the one. <laughs> she didn't slap me. But, <laughs> you know, also like how they went to the party and everything, too. And he um, met everybody, and yeah. she also made him feel just as important as they are by putting the handkerchief in there, supporting him, and then them going into the stars and everything, and looking at the shapes of the stars was actually really amazing. I mm-hmm. love the lighting for that. To be honest oh, yeah. with you. Oh yeah, I I enjoyed it a hundred percent. 
you, you pretty much said everything I was going to. I also liked at the <laughs> bar. I mean, when they were like at the restaurant, when they were talking, and like he did his awkward attempt at a proposal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. It it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I do have to say though, like uh, I enjoyed the fact that I had a reason to watch it again. I haven't watched it in years, and then I just like watched it yesterday, and I was like, ah. Thank God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you forget how amazing the movie is. I mean, I mean, you, you over, you kind of you you remember what it is, but like watching is completely different. Like it was, there, there's a reason to want so many Oscars. Like I said before, I mean, towards the end, he's getting the penning, mm-hmm. and they're all putting it down. Like I started to tear up. Oh yeah, I, I got emotional. Yeah. <laughs> It hit me right here. It does hit you with right. the feels. <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. when he got the pen, like that was yeah. it for me. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> he, he was still in good enough spirits to even kind of joke about his condition a little bit because yeah. they were there testing to see will he go manic on stage if we give yeah. him a Nobel Prize. And, you know, thank God he pulls through. But like, yeah. I mean, I, I love how he decided, like, he knew on the medication he wasn't going to be able to keep doing what he loved. So he had to figure out a way to live with his illness mm-hmm. and function still. And I love the, like, that moment when she was about to leave with the daughter. She was going to get the doctors to come get him and everything. And he just had that, that snap, that realization. She never ages. Like, yeah. that, that, like, was such an emotional scene for me. And then when yeah. the wife was like, would you have ever hurt me? And he was like, no. Like, obviously not. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love, I love them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I definitely like that though, to be honest with you, they, what you guys were mentioning. And also too, um, the, I like the humor. The humor definitely grabbed <laughs> me, especially the part where his friend comes over there to visit, visits him. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, don't sit there. My friend is Sam is, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going. I'm just going for. I'm not going for verbatim. I'm just paraphrasing. But yeah. my friend Sam is sitting there. He goes, "What?" He goes, "I'm just joking with you. You have to be nuts just uh, so the way I can joke." <laughs> yeah, he was just like, "Oh, so you met Henry?" And his friend's like, "Um, John, nobody's here." And he's like, "Well, you know, you know, I have to, I have to make jokes about it." <laughs> right. It's it was amazing. And then when him and his wife, like his wife heard him outside talking to somebody and she couldn't see anybody. Mm-hmm. And then he, she came, he came in and she was like, who are you talking to? The garbage man. She's like, garbage men don't come in. And he's like, I guess they do around here. And then you see the garbage man walk by the window and then they both just stare at each other for a moment and then just start laughing. Like you can see the, like, they still have that bond. She said that like, you know, sometimes she doesn't see the man she fell in love with anymore, but she forces herself to see it and she becomes the same woman again. You know what I mean? Like, right. They really hit on what it's like to be somebody in a relationship with someone with that type of mental illness. Definitely. Most definitely. And, you know, I definitely liked to Paul Bettany. I felt like was the best thing up in this film though, too, aside from Ed Harris. Because mm-hmm. Paul Bettany, I felt like was real. Like I yeah. thought he was a real dude because he goes up and especially when John gets taken away to the psych ward and everything and doing the electroshock therapy and stuff like that. But so happens to be he sees his friend there and he's not even doing anything inside the office and or anything like that to help him. And yeah. he's like, 
come on, you got to help me. You got to get me out of here. That these people work for the government and everything. You got to help me. And of course, he's just not saying anything. So I'm like, okay, is this guy just being a douchebag towards him, or is he just ashamed of John? What's the deal? And then, you, right. of course, you wind up finding out that's actually one of his part of his mental health, uh, mental illnesses that he has. You know? Yeah. So it's I thought, yeah. His character was amazing. He played it very well. And I love at the part where, like, you know, he stopped taking the medication, the visions came back, they started yelling for his attention again. And eventually, like, they just stopped trying to get his attention as much. You know what I mean? Because right. eventually, John ended up just learning how to ignore them. Right. It, it, the, Ed Harris and Paul Bettany definitely played their roles perfectly. Like when Ed Harris was there, you could feel like it was like that spy government mm -hmm. film. When Paul Bettany was there, he just felt like the best friend of the guy. You know what I mean? Like it was definitely, right. they were well cast. They did their jobs well. <laughs> they definitely Paul did. Bettany's story in particular checks out early on. Checks out. Yeah. There's a full backstory there, which isn't all that uncommon for, for people that do suffer from schizophrenia. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, they nailed that one. Obviously, Ed Harris's character had to be secretive. Yeah. But they they wrote them well. They had their backstories. They had their motives. They had all that stuff. The one that didn't check out at the end was the hallucination that kind of got tacked on like halfway, like after it had already like his symptoms had already like stopped growing. Like after the spiral stopped is when the. Uh, niece came in i think yeah, that, she was paul bettany's niece yeah yeah midway through yeah yeah so like she stopped developing as a character in his mind which is something that happens in schizophrenia your characters the the characters stay the same with mm -hmm. schizophrenics the hallucinations don't right. evolve and so like that's the only reason he was able to realize and tell himself that it was fake was because the character didn't evolve to keep aging mm -hmm. right because he looks at his wife he goes i know she's not real because she's the same age that I that I found her in back at such and such a point in time, and so I know she's um, she's fake. And I liked how he comes into the realization of that, and then all of a sudden his wife just stops what he's what she's doing and just looks at him, mm -hmm. and it's like, whoa, okay, you're coming into the terms of the fact that there is something wrong here yeah. with your mental health. So we need to get you the help that you need. So I definitely love that though because. At first, she was going to leave him, and not only that, but also, too, you can feel the tension build up inside him whenever Ed Harris's character comes into play, oh, yeah. especially whenever he's trying to ignore them. Yeah. And, and then, of course, in the shed, there's all that conspiracy stuff all over again. And then also, too, his wife feels like, too, that it's like, oh, great, this is actually starting back up again. And then she puts the puzzles together that he's going to go on ahead and kill his baby daughter and drown her. Because there's supposed to supposedly an implant inside of her, to where the government is tracking her. So she, he was going to go on ahead and kill her. So, oh no, no, that's not that's like, not what it was. Yeah, he no. He, her. he left. Okay. Um, he left Charles there to watch her while yeah, he right. closed the windows for the storm. Okay, and they weren't closing. Right. He was he was struggling with them, so it was taking yeah. a lot of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I got I got that mixed up with the, him cutting himself with the, with the tracking out of his arm. Yeah. Well, yeah. with Dr. Rosen, who yeah. I think is also one of the strongest supporting characters in the whole film. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he might have been, 
from a, a stylistic standpoint for a psychiatrist in the 50s, uh, when he, or I guess it's the 60s when he first starts seeing him, right? 57, 58, so late 50s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for that time period, he might have treated the illness a little bit more aggressively. But yeah. I mean, from an acting standpoint, he was phenomenal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And then one of my other favorite supporting characters is the professor at the very beginning of the movie. Like the guy that ended up like telling um, John all about the pinning ceremony and all yep. that stuff. Like, I, I, I think honestly, this is probably one of the strongest, well-rounded supporting cast. Like they, they all do a great job. I mean, obviously, the guys that play his friends, they do a great job in every movie they in. They're in all. It, I don't think there was a bad choice in casting. No, definitely <laughs> not. As soon as I saw the casting for like Ed Harris and then Paul Bittany, I was instantly sold on it, to be honest with you. And then, of course, the, like you said, the guy that comes in to check in on him and see if he's actually normal or if there's anything going to happen to him when he receives the Nobel Prize and everything. I love him as an actor, though, too. And then also, too, let's talk about the makeup though, that they put on Russell Crowe, though, as for, for his aging and stuff like that goes. That was really good. Oh, that yeah. was some, that was amazing for us. I thought they just took makeup off towards the end. They made it look younger, right? It's like you know what? This is actually going to be a sequel uh, to that uh, de aging film that with Brad Pitt. Benjamin Yeah, where he just goes on and takes off the makeup. It's like I'm young again. <laughs> I like Lovecraft. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But uh, I still need to watch the last episode. Oh. <laughs> it's real good. That is a good show, to be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, but yeah, I thought that that was really good. And then, of course, you know, he's like, "Oh, I know why you're here. You're here to see if I'm actually gonna wh wacko on stage and everything to see if I'm gonna actually be all schizo and everything." Because don't worry. I would have I would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I love the brevity he had about his condition yeah. too. I like how he came to terms with it because because at first he wasn't really focusing in on it or anything like that. But it doesn't just cover his mental health, it also covers his wife's mental health though, too. Like you said, the wear and tear on her. And I like the part where his friend's like, Well, what are you gonna do? You're gonna divorce him? What's gonna happen with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It well rounded. I, I, usually, yeah. with these reviews, I could figure something to point out about the film and talk about it that was wrong, done wrong, but I just can't find anything. <laughs> I mean, there, there's <laughs> a reason it won like every major award <laughs> for, for like, no, uh, for uh, Oscars, and it got nominated for like eight more, but it got beat out. Like, it, it was, you know. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect, well-grounded film, and everything. And I do see somebody in the comments that hasn't seen it. Uh, Tanya Jesse, I would recommend go watching this film. <laughs> yeah, right now, stop watching the podcast. Go watch the. <laughs> then watch, come back. Watch the recorded version. You know, watch the re-aired version of this. Go watch that film now. Um, we right. kind of just told you in thirty minutes everything about this film, but. It's still worth watching. <laughs> it's definitely worth watching and everything. There's still some other stuff I wanted to talk about, though, too. But, you know, if anybody in the comment section who hasn't seen this film, 
go in and check it out. It's actually free to stream on Peacock right now. That's where I watched it at. And it's, it's only three ninety nine on Amazon if you rent right. it. Right. Yeah. Like it's worth $3.99. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's worth actually buying on DVD or Blu-ray. That's what, I, what it, else it I'm is. gonna say too. It is to be honest yeah, with you. A good investment. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you want to just get one of the best pieces of cinema ever made, go ahead and buy it. If you don't really care about movies, why are you even watching this, though? You know, <laughs> exactly. But you know, I know that we talked about the mansion, but do you want to talk about the decay of the mansion whenever his wife? Yeah. Goes I mean, on? yeah, just that complete and total like shift from what he was seeing you know from the mailbox and like scanning his arm code and then putting in the keys and then opening the gate and dropping it in the mailbox and seeing the lights turn on the cars and it was just like it was kind of like a shell shock moment for the audience and him because up until that moment you thought we were watching one film you didn't realize it was about that. Like I thought it was like when I first watched it, well, read the book and then watched it. I was like, this is going to be about just somebody that's like, I don't know, autism in the forties and how it was looked at or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like one type of uh, mental illness. And then it just shifts and you're like, Oh, okay. This guy's got something completely different. And then they're all going on. Like this government program didn't exist. You find out that nobody ever opened the envelopes like the gate was rotted, like that security panel didn't exist. Like it was just a complete and utter like 180 from what you were expected in the film. And I thought that that was perfect. Like how they did it was perfect because we were seeing the world from his perspective, that whole film. Well, and at that same point too, we get a glimpse into the wife's perspective mm-hmm. when she's kind of being made the middleman between John and Dr. Rosen. Mm-hmm. Because it, Everything that her husband's saying to her checks out with everything he's always said to her. Exactly. You know, right. Charles, no, his friend. Yeah. He works at MIT. Like, the guy is doing super high-level stuff, and everything that he's saying could be real in their world. So exactly. for Dr. Rosen to be saying, I need you to find his data, go find his work, you know, all of this stuff, especially back then, like, start of the Cold War. You know. Right. Secrecy. He, yep. he could totally be a Russian spy mimicking a doctor in the U.S. to get John Nash's information. Yeah, so, stuff like that. Stuff like sense. that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, the fact that she had all these alibis, like, okay, Charles couldn't make it to the wedding. He had to teach that day. Charles couldn't do this. Right. And then John's going out and having lunch with Charles while Charles is in town. Stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And then, like, the colleagues at work, well, it would make sense that we wouldn't know what he's involved in because, you know, certain things that come down from the top of the ladder, they hit a certain rung, and then you don't have clearance for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like, yeah, John's always been erratic. John's always Mm -hmm. been like this. Like, And then they're just like, oh, it was just mindless watching him go to this place and drop off an envelope. Like, if that's what he thinks he needs to do, that's what he thinks he needs to do Mm -hmm. because John has always been like this you know what i mean well and to quote dr rosen you know in john's world these behaviors are encouraged Mm -hmm. he was a conspiracy theorist analyst that was Mm -hmm. his job like the more closed off and erratic you were the better you were at your job and he Mm -hmm. was the best at his job and it, it it was interesting to see how the wife played into all of it because like you said, every alibi checked out with her. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then also, too, him teaching at the school now, too, also causes more stress on it, on mm-hmm. his on his mental illness, though, too. Yeah, exactly. In To the point where he would just, like, not teach sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Which... John's character, him teaching, like that wouldn't have fit his personality anyways. But I they explained it like they were forced to teach if they wanted yeah. to be a part of that program. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I like that dynamic. It really didn't play much. I think we got like three classroom scenes, three or four, I oh think. Yeah. But I mean, that works with him because like he basically put an equation on a board and was like, solve it. You probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then he also meets up with some of the other kids in the library, though, too, when he's yeah. actually tutoring the kid, doing the same type of thing that the, he did in school and everything, too, coming up with his own original formula. Mm-hmm. I, I I really liked seeing him go into that mentor stage. Yeah. that That's kind of like when his because we have his build up, we have his decline, we have like when he started trying to get fixed and then his relapse. And then when he got to that part where he was mentoring, that's when he started leveling out and getting to being a functioning, like functional with his disease. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, also too, I actually have to say too, this movie is fantastic. Like you mentioned before, it's perfectly well done, perfectly well casted. This writing is just phenomenal. It's beautiful. And, you know, I loved how he still has that handkerchief that his wife gave him after all those years and everything. And just goes back to those memories that he has with her and the support of his wife is what is really moving and everything, mm-hmm. too. Because at first I'm like, OK, is she going to get a divorce? Is she going to start banging his friend that is actually tr- hitting on her? Because I actually did feel like his friend is actually concerned by there's also a hint of maybe there could be possibly something more if she divorces or something yeah. like that. That's just me on the way I was looking at it. I don't know if you guys looked at it from that angle, but I read it more as the concerned friend. And it's the line that's concerned from the line that does it for me there is um when he says that John is the luckiest man in the world. You that's know? true. Like he, he props up her and their relationship as opposed to trying to put a wedge in it. So if there was something nefarious there, he might not say something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that, that's, a, that's kind of where I got it too. Like okay. this guy, he was always the most concerned for John out of the, all their friend group anyways. Mm-hmm. And it shows that he was actually friends with John. You know what I mean? Like to the point where like, they felt like him and his other friend there were like parenting John at work. They and literally, I would never do that. Yeah. No. no, he actually, <laughs> you know what? He actually treated him like an equal. He actually felt like a friend to him. And then also too, I liked how he's trying to tell the niece of Paul Bettany's daughter, a niece, uh, bye. And he's over there stroking her hair. And then the guy in the hallway is just looking and everything. And he's like, "What the? What's going on here?" But you know, I I like the whole entire fact is. I'm going to end up doing something about this. This is causing half it, haddock with my family and stuff like that too. So therefore I have to do something about it. So therefore I'm just not going to, I'm just going to go on ahead and ignore the other people around me that are imaginary. Mm-hmm. And then 
it even got to the point where he didn't know who was imaginary and who wasn't, which was the Nobel Prize guy. He goes, yeah. are you real? Are you not real? He goes, no, yeah. you're very real. <laughs> he asked the young student. <laughs> Is he real? <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest with you, I wish I saw this movie uh, when I was like 15, 16 years old at the time. Because I felt like maybe I would actually, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it now, but I think it actually would have grown with me a lot more to where it would be attached to me a lot more. But, yeah. you know, being 15, 16 years old, you're not thinking about stuff like that. You're wanting raunchy comedies. You're wanting different other things aside from You're wanting horror that, and action right. and <laughs> right. comedy. Sounds like there's something exactly. here, John. Uh, do you want to take a moment, maybe talk about it? Get to the core. <laughs> For no. psychology. I mean, I'm not licensed or anything, but this is a podcast. There's no rules. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have the hour or the money to pay you the uh, the money. Since like you right said, now. he's not licensed, so he can't drive. Right. Oh yeah, so it's free. Get with me after the show. Uh, I that? do accept Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you two. Oh. <laughs> no, more than that. <laughs> I'm about to be a Doge millionaire. Let's go. <laughs> but uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to cover as far as this movie goes? And I just, too? you know, like I said, it's definitely worth watching. Like it's more than worth watching. I feel like it should be like you know how there's required reading. Mm -hmm. There should yeah. be required viewing. Mm -hmm. um, it. It just for the sole fact of the fact that it's a good movie, but it also gets into an illness that is over stereotyped, okay. over not overlooked, it's just over stereotyped. Mm. Like you hear schizophrenic and people are like, That person's a danger to society mm. and everyone else. And it's just like, no, man, like I know people that have this and they are perfectly functional human beings that I think are actually better people than some of the people <laughs> I know that have nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one of the greatest mathematicians of our time had that. And it's just, you know, it helps people understand the disease. Now his is a little more severe than other cases of schizophrenia as well. It's just like any other disease, there's highs and lows. Um, and like, if you just want to see some amazing actors, tell a good story, some amazing cinematography, you're right along. You still need to see this. <laughs> That's one of my, that's one of my buddies. He actually okay. works for me. He's an editor. Okay, um, nice. But yeah, it's just something that you need to watch. Like everybody should watch this film. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's it's a PSA for how you should treat someone with a mental yep. illness. Exactly. You're saying what I said in one sentence opposed to my 10 paragraphs. Um, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I mean, that's usually how we operate anyways. So. <laughs> yeah. Quick yeah. love a four-page monologue. <laughs> hey, you know, you memorized it, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though, guys? Um, I wish that they would actually shown this like in like a health class for high schoolers and stuff like that, to where yeah. they can actually have a maturity level to where they can actually understand instead of making fun of something they don't understand and treating other uh people with mental illness like crap. Because I've actually Here's the thing. I've actually taken care of kids with mental illness and stuff like that. I was actually part of the Pierce Club back in high school and things like that. And I've seen where kids are just complete douchebags towards people with Down syndrome, things mm -hmm. with um, different types of mental illness and everything. 
I'm like, how would they? How would you you feel if they started looking at you because you looked weird? Because to mm-hmm. them, you probably look weird and everything. I, I agree. The youth need to be educated. And like, this is one of those films that is not too bad to show in a high school. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's the reason it's PG 13 is just because, you know, there are points that are like really intense. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just one of those things. Like, it'll teach people that, yeah, they, people with mental illness, their world is perceived different than. Normal. I mean, I can say that for a fact because what was that? Their world might be different than normal, but it can still be beautiful. Exactly. exactly. And that that puts it perfectly because the reason I jumped on to be on your mental health, um, mental illness awareness month is because I have PTSD, BPD, anxiety, mm. and depression. So like even though I don't relate a hundred percent to schizophrenia, cause that's like three steps above the ladder than what I'm at. Mm-hmm. It definitely like is something that I think people need to understand anyways. Um, it's, it should be shown. Like, I think it should be part of the curriculum. Oh, Hey Ben. <laughs> hey. <laughs> are we sure that all of those illnesses are real? Because I saw in a video on YouTube that depression's a myth. You know that checks out. I think we should trust that YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, I think you know what. I, I think that, that checks out. This whole entire month for me doing reviews is now canceled. I'm just gonna yeah. do comedy. You, <laughs> you hear that? He's <laughs> <laughs> busy. He's busy. Like crazy. Summer. I'm, I'm irrelevant apparently. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. It should be taught. It should be like required viewing in high schools like in a health class like i know they probably talk about it in psych classes um and stuff like that yeah Um, and stuff like that yeah but like you know we're teaching kids stuff about like they're being forced to read 1984 and animal farm they might as well watch this you know i I had to read brave new world in seventh grade oh Mm. i had i had to read 1984 in college placement uh english in ninth grade so Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those things like we should be forcing them to watch stuff because cinema is just as educational and they'll watch a movie more than they'll read a book we know right. this <laughs> yeah. i used to uh have a little quote before every podcast episode i used to say put down the book and pick up the control <laughs> that used mm-hmm. to be my go-to uh quote and everything and that's actually how i feel about kids today they would actually rather watch a movie than read a book any day and everything and th- things like I'm that. Ad- so. I'm an adult and that's how I feel. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, movies are just more fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I also make them. Well, I guess I'm a published <laughs> author now too, but you know, we don't have to talk about that. It's only a six page short story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's um, a story for another show. So. Yes. Okay. So, um, out of the back end of the sugar pod. <laughs> yeah, the back end of the sugar episode. Yeah, we'll go there. Right. Um, which for viewers, that's a movie Catfigus and I did together. <laughs> which I'm gonna be watching after this to uh, um to check that out. You should. Thank yep. you. Yep. We also have uh, we're working on a twice as long cut. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so nice. Six he, minutes. He has the five and a half minutes. Right. Oh, he has the five. He has the five and yeah. a half. I thought you yeah. sent him the three. Oh, no, never, no, no. Never mind. You never mind. You have exclusive <laughs> access okay. to the full length version of Sugar, which okay. a little backstory on it since we started talking about it. Oh, uh, might as well. Yeah. The, the film was made for the Action Park Media Film Festival, which is run by Kevin Conley, who, all things come in full circle is related to Julia Conley, who plays the wife in uh, Beautiful Mind. Look, oh, there you nice. go. We found, we found a way. <laughs> we found a way. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. The caveat for the film festival, though, was that everything had to be filmed on a smartphone, wide angle. And that film in particular for our, our festival submission, we made, it had to be a three-minute cut, and we did it almost entirely on my phone. Like yeah, editing. Yeah, um, we used my phone for second camera, but other than that, it was all edited, graded. Eighty um, percent of it was shot on your phone. I think my camera, my phone, only did twenty percent, mm-hmm. um, and that was just to speed things up because you know it had to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, but, we were going for like a seventies horror parody. Yeah, it, oh, wow. the way I tell people is like think Pulp Fiction meets Miami Vice. Um, it, so it's, way less action, no blood, and no one actually gets hurt. <laughs> I can't wait to. Actually I don't know. I think Donner's feelings got hurt when he found out it wasn't a serious film. But yeah, <laughs> one of our actors uh, didn't read the memos apparently and thought that it was a serious <laughs> film, not a comedy. So oh, wow. a lot of his reactions are very pure. The score kind of lightens <laughs> up a little bit. And makes him <laughs> so pretty much, he was there, just a happy, just happy to be there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that describes his personality in general, anyways. Is just happy to be there. <laughs> From a stylistic standpoint, too. You know, the whole thing we shot very authentically. There, there was no like post color grading for mm-hmm. for anything um, too drastic. All of the the light shades and colors and filters and stuff like that we did on the day. On set, um, the the with, colors you see are the actual colors we saw while filming it. With like filter films, like we we went like a very old school way of filming this, even though it was done with smartphones. Everything mm-hmm. else was as if it was filmed in like nineteen seventy. Oh, nice! So, yeah, we we wanted to give it an authentic feel. Okay. We um, even went as far as rent, renting a house down oh here's the story we ran into the house. <laughs> so are you gonna go the full like the full story about the house and everything we're, we'll get to as far as i get um <laughs> so there's a place called atlanta illinois turns out uh it's in the middle of nowhere literally like, you you couldn't find it on a map you drive it's impossible um but we rent this house there and we walk in and it's this real old, like, 1800s-style uh, home on Route 66. Pretty cool. Place looks amazing. We looked down on the floors in the living room. I did. I was literally, I was walking through, and I was just looking down at my phone texting somebody because they're like, I'm here. And I was, like, texting them, okay, I'm on my way outside. I looked down, and all Kafkas and one of our actors hears is, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Like, four swastikas <laughs> on the corners of the floor. Like not, not like someone <laughs> scraped them into the floor. Like they were built in the pattern in the floor. <laughs> and apparently, apparently in this home, uh, there's a plaque about this big in the living room 
that tells the history about how the house was made pre-World War II in like 1893. They used to put swastikas in the floorboards as a symbol of good luck, which I'm like, I'm a person of Jewish heritage. I don't give a shit about how preserved you want to keep this home. It looks fantastic. Get rid of the fucking swastikas. (laughs) Right. um, So that experience, you know, kicked off a series of events in that house that (laughs) kind of went from bad to worse. (laughs) You know, one of those, you feel like you're always being watched and you're never alone type of things. This This place was real old. And we had multiple members of our cast have experiences. Literally, one of our cast members heard a child laughing upstairs. In a hallway while he was taking pictures on the stairwell. Oh. Uh, I walked into my bedroom after everyone we wrapped for the night. Clint and I and one of our actors, Martin, were all going to stay the night in the house. And I walk into my bedroom and the closet door opens as soon as I walk in. Literally then, five minutes, five minutes, like literally I said, all right, I'm going to sleep. I walk into my room, close the door. I'm laying down in my bed. Kafkas comes and knocks on my door. Hey, a door just opened itself. Well, that, that was after <laughs> the next thing that happens. So the door opens. I close it, walk around the bed, um, and notice that the nightstand door swings open. And inside oh. of it is like an old lace cloth, and a cold breeze comes out. And I, I'm someone who watches ghost shows personally, and I, I've read up on Dybbuk boxes, and this thing had all the characteristics of that. It was painted dark black. It was sticky. Like, it had an eeriness about it to begin with, right? Having a latch in order to open the cabinet was, like, really stiff, and you had to, like, pry up to open. So somehow this thing just pops open. Cold air blasts out. Closet door opens again. <laughs> At this point, I go and try and wake Clint up like 15 minutes after we all tried to go to bed. That's nice. Yeah. And at that point, I I was like, nope, I'm not not staying in there. Packed up my stuff. I went down into the living room and kind of plotted my next move for like four hours before ultimately driving home at like three in the morning. Left me alone <laughs> in a haunted house. <laughs> I woke you up once, and Martin seemed to be doing fine. Though apparently, he also just woke up. And he, left dipped out, he dipped out. He dipped out at like five a.m. So you know, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds about I, I, I could have been dead. <laughs> nah, but, but all we are, <laughs> the the film, the sugar was shot. Like everything you see there, that's just the house. You know what I mean? Like. The whole house fit the mood anyways because we were gone for 60s, 70s vibe anyways. So, like, the furniture, the look of the house, like, the kitchen table, all of it, down to the costuming, which, you know, Courtney Rainier, the person we used, she made the costumes on that. I think, Kafkas, you just came with your own clothes. (laughs) Yeah, my movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I, I I directed it, but Kafkas wrote it. Like you know, I had a little bit of input here and there, but he wrote most of it. I think I did like just change some wording here and there, names or whatever. But he wrote it. Chris Donner just said, "Fuck the script. I'm going to say whatever I want." Yeah, literally, literally, he's notorious <laughs> for improv. So he was just like, and "This one though was fantastic." I think he was just genuinely reacting. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it was it was awesome. We yeah. had a great team on that film. Like I, it was a great time. It was a great time. All right. Um. Yeah, sugar. Yeah. We'll uh, air it whenever we can because okay. since it's in a festival circuit, well, we the, can't show it. Yeah, the right. planning's right now. Uh, Nick Daniel, who did the sound for it and is now an award winning uh, sound guy, so that's awesome. Congrats, Nick. My boy, Nick. Uh, he's actually redoing the post cut for the five and a half minute version. So what you have, John, does have a few little technical errors, especially in the okay. beginning. It's like some some voice matching up stuff. But, okay. I mean, definitely high enough quality for you to watch it and still enjoy okay. it. All right. Uh, even kind of has a little humor to it, honestly. But It does. Um, yeah, what, once he's finished with that, though, the plan is uh, to submit it to a few different international film fests that have reached out with interest in seeing some of the work that, that we've done. So. All right. Sounds good, man. Um, I'm excited to actually check that out after we get done doing this. Um, so is there anything else that you want to touch on or anything like that? Buy Dogecoin. <laughs> it's a good idea. Everyone. <laughs> Jump on the bandwagon. Let's go. Pump this bad boy up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just going to reiterate, like, everybody needs to see a beautiful mind. Like, I know it's hard nowadays to find two and a half hours to sit down and watch something, but I guarantee you, like, this is definitely worth doing. You worth know. Every second. Most of you I know, you're sitting there for two and a half hours watching horrible TikTok and YouTube videos anyways. Mm -hmm. So just sit down, watch something of high quality back when the only thing you could watch was movies and TV. And appreciate young Paul Bettany, young Russell Crowe, younger Ed Harris. I think he's always seemed the same age no matter what. Um, No matter what decade we're in, he's looked the exact same. The guy's a vampire. Um, and just watch it. Like you'll get a good message. It's entertaining. I mean, it's definitely heavy, but it's entertaining. It's educational. It's informative. And like the kicker is, this is a real person in the real life. This person went through a real Nobel Prize. Yeah, real Nobel Prize winner. And the movie's a real four-time Oscar winner. So you know, there's a lot of awards attached to this film. And we're three real-time fans. And John's a new yes. real-time fan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So get yeah. on board. <laughs> go on ahead. Check this out on Peacock. Rent it for four bucks on Amazon. Whatever you have to do to go get your hands on it, go on ahead and check it out. And so and that, uh, Yeah. And just remember, these are two real filmmakers telling you to watch it. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So is there anywhere that people can reach you at and all that good stuff? Please don't. Um, uh, no, um, you can check my uh, my company's Instagram R and R Productions nine three. That's R the letter R the letter N the letter R Productions nine three or follow um, R and R Productions on Facebook. Um, you know, we haven't been really active lately, and that's just because we're dealing with a lot of you know just. The boring parts of film, you know, business and financing. Uh, we got a lot of projects that are going to kick up here soon. Uh, hopefully. Um, and once they do, it'll be a lot more active. But other than that, don't try to look me up personally. You'll probably just get ignored. <laughs> <laughs> Been a big more active for us up in Chicago. But uh, you can find me at NC Kafkis on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, just Nick C. Kafkis. 
Okay. All right. And everybody, you guys can go on ahead and follow me at Movie Lovers TV Lovers Unite on Facebook, underneath the same name brand and everything on Pinterest, as well as on Instagram. You guys can call, also call on ahead and follow me on Twitter at Movie Lovers Unit and also too on Stereo at Movie Lovers Unit over there. And if you guys want to go on ahead, reach out to me via email by going on ahead and going to uh, Movie Lovers Unite at gmail.com. Of course, you guys can go on ahead and download this. Uh, video segment on where you guys get your audio podcast at and then of course go on ahead donate to the page how do you do that just go on ahead go to www.gofundme.com forward slash movie lover podcast donate five to ten dollars over there or whatever you want to donate just to show us some love keep the lights on here at movie lovers unite also two guys tomorrow night don't forget i'm going to be doing my show at rossi mccree with um with training day, so don't forget that at eight o'clock central time, nine o'clock eastern, six o'clock pacific time, and then Deadpool part one review coming up on Friday night, eight o'clock central time, nine o'clock eastern, six o'clock pacific time. So that's everything that you guys need to know about Movie Lovers Unite and everything. I hope everybody has a great and safe evening. And also, two guys, I do appreciate you guys once again joining me here. It's been fun, it's been real. Can't wait to do this again. And bye bye. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DiGorio, and I just want to sit, talk about something real quick, and that is Audible. What is Audible? I'm so glad that you guys asked. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audio books, ranging from bestsellers like Anne Rice, Stephen King, the list just goes on. Their whole entire catalog, when it comes down to audio books, is just fantastic. If you're on on the road and everything and you want an audio book and you want to download it fast, go ahead, go to Audible. You're not going to regret it. They actually have a trial right now that you guys can actually jump on. You can actually go on ahead, go to the link, and it'll bring you up to that trial. And a matter of fact, every month, members actually get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and access to Daily News Digest from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Another thing too guys, that's not all they have. They also have they also have finish if you actually want to go ahead and do some things to actually better yourself for 2021, they have stuff for that too, like finishing more books or becoming a better parent, leader or a person. How-to books, which is something that everybody seems to grab onto a lot lately and everything else. So if you guys are actually looking for something to maybe better yourself for 2021, go on ahead, check out those books as well. They have a big catalog. You guys won't regret it. Go ahead, click on the link below in the description notes. Go on ahead. You guys won't regret it. Sign up for that trial period. And always until next time, stay safe, guys, and enjoy the show. And God bless. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.